Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm joined by Heath from Dagon's Cauldron to talk about his 40-year history of being a dungeon master and so much more. If you'd like to support the podcast and fund new monsters, bonus episodes, downloadable recipes, and adventure modules, head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. Be right with you. Like I said in the intro, join today with Heath of Dagda's Cauldron. Heath, welcome to the Dungeons and Dinners table. Yeah, I really appreciate the invite. I'm looking forward to some great conversation, and uh, you know, just in time to get me hungry for dinner. <laughs> That's right. We're gonna we'll, we'll do my best here to to get you get you all <laughs> set up and ready. So, um, I like to start with a little bit of history. So. Uh, wherever you want to start from, uh, if you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to D&D. Oh, wow. Uh, so I am 48 years old, and I have been playing D&D since I was nine and a few months. Wow. Uh, yeah, like I go back to the old, not not quite the white books. But, <laughs> right, uh, right. Yeah, pretty close. Um, and... I've played every edition except fourth. I read half of the player's handbook and said, this is not for me. Right. Um, but then I've branched out into, you know, all the other different role-playing games. But I'm a DM. I, it's normally what I do. I love it. And I just, I, I love the collaborative storytelling aspect. It's just awesome. And, you know, getting surprised my players with things. So, right. Yeah. But... Um, I don't know what else to tell you. Well, about we'll, we'll dig into it some. So <laughs> you said you started um, when you were nine. So did a family member get you involved or a friend? No. So how I got hooked was I I started reading at a stupidly young age because of my, my family. Mm -hmm. It just my parents were big on books. And so I remember at nine years old uh, going to Walden Books in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Eastgate Mall, and walking in and going, turning around this corner, and there was this, this magical box. And so I saw the dragon on the front, everything, and I got it, and I sh was shaking and looking. I was just fascinated by what this could hold. Right. And so I saved up my money, and I bought it. And... I knew no one that played. I tried to get my dad and my older brothers, and they're like, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> right. So, but eventually I found my tribe, and, you know, we we did well, and I it became my the best hobby of my life. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a, that's a fun start there. I know yeah. I had a couple of false starts when it came to larger boxed games and, and RPGs. And eventually it, it just takes that the, the right couple of people, one or two people to get in to figure out, is this, is this playable? Is this worth it? Are we doing it right? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once you get, you get a new game, you're always nervous till you get that, like that first combat out of the way. And then you're like, right. okay, this engine works or no, <laughs> we get it. We get it now. <laughs> it yes. makes sense all of a sudden. Yes. Yeah. Especially when everybody's new to it, because it, even if you are wrong on some major rule, nobody knows. Nobody can tell you any better. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, then it's sometimes all that's for fun. the best. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's the great thing about something like uh, a Dungeons and Dragons or any tabletop RPG really versus a more traditional board game is uh, 
even if you are wrong on the rules, you could still have a ton of fun. There's there's a couple of board games that I've played that the setup was had to be really precise in setting it up and the instructions weren't great. And somebody was like, well, let's just try to play around. And we're like, no, we we can't. We yes. literally can't unless it is set up exactly <laughs> perfect. If we play around, nothing's going to make any sense at all. And we're all going to waste a bunch of time. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then halfway through, you're like, oh, we were supposed to have gotten those cards back here. Oh, mm-hmm. oh those needed to shuffle back in. That's why nobody's been able yeah. to do the thing. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so with such a long history um and and it sounds like you you are in an area that at least was well enough populated to have an early culture uh mm-hmm. for ttrpgs in general because uh you know i've talked to a couple other people that are that are closer to my age um and i'm i'm 36 so i started with hackmaster um okay. like second edition and then but but in my area there was like three people and that was you play with them or you don't play at all. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, so there was a lot of not playing really is what ended up happening there. But um, so with that and and with you, you've seen kind of uh, for the most part, all of it, you've seen kind of second wave satanic panic um, that yeah. that hit a lot of things. And as well as the some of the more, I guess, when when third third and three dot five came it was becoming popular but still kind of uh in my opinion there was a lot of holier than thou culture to D D yes. where it was like popular enough but it everybody wanted it to be indie so there was a lot of gatekeeping and a lot of things like that and then fourth edition was essentially a, a failed board game <laughs> yes <laughs> and That's and now true. with the the rise of fifth edition and things like Twitch and podcasts and the internet, the culture of the internet kind of taking hold, you've seen that full change and progression. And I don't know, I just wanted some of your thoughts, like what do you think are some of the, the, the highlights that stick out to you throughout your history and where you think things are going? Well, uh, going back to the beginning, um, you're right. Even in, you know, Chattanooga was a decent-sized little city growing up. Um, still had very few. So, you know, again, we were a similar boat. This was our group. This is who we played with. Um, but then at one point, early 80s, yeah, satanic panic hit, and everybody was freaking out. And my parents were not particularly religious, so they never really... They, you know, sometimes they worried about the amount of time I spent at it, not really <laughs> the... Yeah. So the content, not so much. Yeah. They're like, okay, you're reading about history and mythology and all this stuff. Why do we care? Great. Go for it. Yeah. Hey, if you're going to read more Greek mythology than all about, did, did you have or know anybody that was impacted? I, I lost a friend to Satanic Panic with uh, when I played Magic the Gathering. So, well, it's funny because, yes, but much, much later. Oh, really? Bizarrely. Yeah. But what we had was one of our players was Catholic. And so their mom was like, oh, so they sent their priest to come and watch a game. Ah, that was weird, but we got into it and I'm a ham. So I really don't care. I don't embarrass. You know, I can embarrass myself. I can do something that I'm like, oh, but if you play with me or do something, I play back and I win. Right. So, yeah, I I know a few like that. (laughs) Um, But so he watched this game for about 
two, two and a half hours, asked us questions about it, everything. And then afterwards, he was like, yeah, guys, you're you're fine. You're never going to date a girl, but you're <laughs> fine. And so, you know, that was that early brush with it. Uh, the worst part, encounter I had of it was a store when I was in Georgia uh, and we were playing on a day the store was closed, coffee shop, so we could gather. And the then owner all of a sudden shows up and is like, you guys have to stop. This is black magic. This is black. And I was just like, I, I just sort of stopped for a moment, looked at my players, and then I was just like, okay, guys, just, just pack up. Yeah. Like it's not even <laughs> worth arguing. It's not. And he, it deflated him a bit that we didn't argue with him. Right. But um, a couple of the other players were people who played or who worked there as well. And so they were just indignant because this guy had made it out that he was, I'm this better Christian than you because I, and they were just like, what the hell is his problem? Right. So that was as close as I came to a satanic panic issue, but no, I never really, never really had to deal with them. Thank goodness. That's good. That's good. I, yeah. I know that, like I said, I, I had a friend who's, you know, mom burned hundreds of dollars that are probably thousands of dollars now in like early edition magic cards and things. And uh, it was never really a, a Dungeons and Dragons player, but he, we tried to start him back up and, and she burned, I think she tried to burn one of my decks too and got a couple of cards out of it because we were in the middle of like trading cards or something. And it wasn't anything, I didn't lose anything big, but we tried to guilt her. I'm like, no, those are worth so much money. Rah! And it didn't, did nothing. So <laughs> I, I just don't understand that. I, I, I can't believe in a faith or a God that's that nervous that scared right. well, of us I, think that I don't remember i i could be wrong so the internet should not quote me on this but i think a lot of the initial panic actually wasn't about at least for for magic for D D, it was it was a little different but it wasn't about the the demonic influences or magic spells or anything it was about gambling Yes. In teenagers and, and underage gambling, but that kind of spread out because the churches spearheaded it. So then everybody just took their own way with it. <laughs> well, what I heard back in the 80s and, you know, here, you know, the original came out was figuring out well, where is this even coming from? Because it just sort of like popped up. It yeah, was it just manifests. What I seem to track down at that point, again, being, you know. 12, uh, what, yeah, I guess about 12 years old at that point, no internet, et cetera. So it's just what I could dig through libraries or newspapers. Right. Um, it was Hasbro. Oh, really? So that's what makes me laugh. They didn't like it because, <laughs> you know, only one person had to buy a set of books and then those mm -hmm. went with you to every house right. rather than everybody needed Monopoly or everybody needed. So then once they bought Wizards of the Coast, I just, I mean, I just couldn't stop laughing. That's hilarious. Well, yeah. and it's, it's also funny because they're the ones that transition to fewer books in 5e. Yeah. Like 3.5, I had friends that would bring in dual duffel bags, like yeah. ripped buff players carrying a like, hundred oh. pounds of books. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. to every session. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, so it's. Well, they're about to open the floodgates again. Yeah, though. it's it's starting to happen, but it, yeah. it's not nearly as bad as at least 
as three five ended up at. <laughs> we got no, a few years all, yeah. before it gets there. Yeah. So um, the other, let's see, other moments. I hate the gatekeeping. I hate the that early. I'm gay. So you know, as a kid growing up and playing this game, I wasn't out to my friends at that point. Eventually right, came out, right. but um, and just felt very. I couldn't have been. I couldn't have even explored it. Um, and you know, we didn't. We didn't have any black friends playing it. We didn't have. We had one. One of the players' sister would play with us, but our DM at the time, she would come in and. Oh, I'm, I, I hope he doesn't get embarrassed by this. Um, you don't have to name names. <laughs> I'm definitely not dropping a name. But he he would stumble over himself. And it wasn't necessarily because he was like, oh, my God, she's it was just like, wait, there's a girl here. I, what do I do for a girl? I don't. I, <laughs> so it was. I mean, that's that's almost just teenagers to begin with. But yes. <laughs> especially yeah. in the 80s and 90s. We didn't have we were not culturally acclimated to each other very well. No, but <laughs> I love I love today the fact that all of those barriers are gone. Or going, I shouldn't say they're, they're going. going, they're going. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a, I think the overall kind of idea or theme is that we're, we're trending towards good. My generation's going away and my generation was the problem. We were the young white kid that played this and this is what we knew and we own this. We need it. We need, we either need to adapt or we need to move on. Um, and that's going to happen. But I today I love the fact that I can do it because I'm going to sort of do a, a talk show or conversation show like this. And I'm doing, you know, a multi-part thing on gender and sexuality. Mm -hmm. I couldn't mm -hmm. have done that 40 years ago. That that would have I mean, it would have been gender. Well, it's male sexuality. I like girls. We're done. Right. Now there's there's and it's it's inclusiveness kind of on the whole spectrum, too, which I, I love mm -hmm. to see as well, where it, it's, you know, race, disability, sexual orientation, gender, all, all of them are being welcomed, being explored. And I've actually been really impressed with at least some companies not necessarily gender pandering or sexuality pandering as much as just listening to the community and tackling things like yeah, you can play an orc with plus two int. Because the yes. thing is, is we all homebrewed that anyway. Like, mm -hmm. like, okay, sure, all races get basically two to three stat boosts, so you can have two to three stat, whatever stats you want to make your character cool. You get two to three of them. And yeah. none of us cared. The, there's a few people that, you know, the, the rules as written people cared, uh, but they usually had something else going on, so. <laughs> well, I don't... <sighs> What I like is that people are are able to push for inclusion mm -hmm. and that, you know, it may not be a group we're thinking about right now that needs to be. And to be fair, those of us who aren't part of those groups, it we don't think to start including them. Right. But then people will say, oh, but I want to be the the latest issue, the ableism and um, dream wisp. I love her. Um, her work, she took some time out to actually educate me a bit on some right. of my assumptions. I loved her for it. And I love seeing that we're finding ways to include disabilities in D&D. &D. Yeah. And who cares? Anybody that tries to argue, it's like, well, they shouldn't have because of... 
It's a game about dragons. Right. By every <laughs> law of physics we know today, that is too big to fly. Yeah, it's all imaginary. The yeah. whole thing is imaginary. So imaginary anything is still imaginary whatever. Right. And we're, we should all be allowed to express whatever we want. Absolutely. And that that I think has been the biggest change that I've seen that I enjoy. And it also creates better storytelling, which for me yeah. is always what I'm looking for with D&D. I want a good story. So on on the topic of story and and kind of lengthy lengthiness, um, I guess kind of multi part question here, maybe like what's your longest campaign? <laughs> um and uh, were you a player or DM in that campaign? I was the DM. Um, I've been the DM 90% of the time. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But um, I, I can, it lasts just a little over four years, but I joked that it was eight because I did dual campaigns. Ah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember Monty Cook's Tallis. Monty Cook sounds really familiar. He created the test world for third edition. Okay. And it was a city called Tallis. It was a book of about 600 pages. Ooh. It is nothing but the city. And the conceit of the game or of the setting is you don't really leave the city and its environments. Right. So there are dungeons. There's stuff under below you. There's this huge spire of rock going up. So there's all this area to explore everything but you're not going to go more than half a day from the city. Right. So he ran dual campaigns back when they were doing the playtesting. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> I got this. So I created two groups and they didn't really know each other. Two people crossed over, but they just worked together. They didn't really, right. they weren't friends. That lasted a little over four years. And I had so much fun with it because what each of them did affected the other. And then at the end, I brought them all together for the final huge fight with the drow. Um, there were, I had over 200 minis wow. on the table. It took us two weekends to play out the scenario. And then listening to them, I, for so much of it, me just getting to sit back and listen and them talking about stuff and Oh my God, you had the answer. Linking, to this. linking together all the threads that, of each other. We've been looking to the answer to this question for, and they're like, yeah, it's, it's the staff. It's just like, they're like, yeah, we know that. I was just like, it was, it was beautiful. And then I was so exhausted. I'm like, I'm taking time off guys. You're not right. going to see me. Right. I'm tired. And I, I would never do that now. I was insane. <laughs> Um, Monty, you challenged me. I accepted, but now I'm done. Never again. You know, I mean, that's a, that's an amazing, at least you had the experience and getting to the end is yes. I I've on both sides of the table, whether it be a DM or as a player outside of a couple of one shots, I don't think I've, there's only like one good story arc that I know I finished and wrapped up and, and got the end that I, that everybody kind of wanted in that. So, um, yeah. That's a that's a feat on its own. So kudos that, to you. But that's a current trend because we used to do a lot more campaigns back in the early days, and you tended to play them all the way through. Yeah. Um, it, since I, I think since the late mid to late nineties, 
it's it's changed and i think part of that is we move so much we've got life happening and it's not just adults even the kids have so much going on oh yeah groups change so the so the campaigns end and right it's, yeah it's hard it can also be difficult because while there is a lot of openness and inclusion that also means that having to have difficult conversations happens a lot more frequently too and and people yes. either have those conversations and deal with it or they don't and that can person personality is probably what breaks up 90 percent of games anyway so that or i'll know i'll give maybe 60 and the other 40 to scheduling or is that that maybe flip-flop no that's that's i'd say that's pretty accurate um particularly if it's you know people you've known for a while right brand new people i'm always nervous and i always you know i'm always like we'll try you out yeah you gotta see if you mesh yeah yeah so yeah but personality i mean that is and then expectations um you know we're doing this world um seas of odari campaign we got one episode filmed or recorded and unfortunately we really don't have much because technology failed part mostly my fault technology happens yes but um a couple of the players left then they just were not happy with some things with that setup so i was like really we got one one episode in and we're replacing two people already okay i own my part in it i know what i did etc but it was just like oh i can't yeah. do this every time right so. right yeah, it's it's hard to switch out that for i had a game that started was supposed to just be like two players and me and it's going to be small simple game no big deal balloon 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 and more players coming in having to give them backstories get them up to level and get them tied in and it's it becomes and then if you start right. trading out then one or two people leave and a couple more people come in you end up with a, a party that's completely different from the one you started with <laughs> and then you yeah. have the real well, you have that same trouble you're talking about with dual dming where some people have information that others don't except in my case, those players weren't coming back. <laughs> right. It's like, I got to find a way to introduce that again. Yeah. How do we get that hint back into the game? <laughs> so, and I'm, and believe me, I regret they're gone. I'm there. Welcome back at any time. Right. Um, so, but it just, yeah, it's long campaigns. Uh, this one is designed so that people can come and go. Mm -hmm. um, preferably not in one episode. Well, um yeah. You know, and hopefully we don't have a repeat of the issues that happen that cause that too. Right. So, um, but specifically I did that because I know things don't last. So there right. will be new characters and, you know, the, the individuals aren't what matter. It's the group. Right. So. So as a longtime DM and, and as kind of a, you, you seem really story focused, I find that a lot of more story driven DMs tend to be more homebrew or less rules as written. Is that the case in your scenario as well? Or are you pretty strict to the rules? Um, no, I'm definitely not. <laughs> um, I, I will, if you can give me a reason why it's cool what you're doing, I'm going to let you try it. Now I may say you need to roll a 20. Right. That's going to be I'm letting hard. you try, yeah. but um but yeah generally i i want you to have fun mm -hmm. and i want to have fun with it i i, I always say the dm is just a player too and right. anybody that you know if they think they're they're oh i'm in charge and i no because if they don't show up you have no game right. so you're a player 
Um, but I want everybody to have fun and enjoy it. And I involve them in world creation where, hey, you're from that land. Great. Tell me what that land is like, because nice. I don't know. Yep. Um, and it shares the burden. But yeah, I was going to say it, take, it takes a lot off you when your players yeah. are willing to, to, to give in and, and add stuff to the campaign like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, the rules is written one. I, I don't know them perfectly enough to, <laughs> you know, so I mean, a lot of very times I'll few be like, people do Let me look that up real quick. Well, yeah. So. Well, and especially once you get five editions in and you've read through all of them, that's, I mean, sure. We don't, we're probably not thinking about Thatco too much, but there's still <laughs> enough rules that are blurry between the editions that <laughs> one of my players laments that Thaco is gone. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at like, you're crazy. Yeah. No. You are just nuts. But yeah, no, like the skills simplification for fifth mm -hmm. edition drives me nuts because people are like, well, what do I roll for this? And I'm like, I don't know. There just, is not, there isn't a skill. <laughs> right. It's, you know, how, what is knowledge local now? I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, streetwise. Yeah. That, some of them that I'm just like, okay, that, just make an intelligence check. That's all I really know to tell you. I would so. be really interested to see like a skill tree come in. Yes. Like, I think that, I think that as much as modern role or not even modern, but kind of especially nineties computer role-playing games took mm -hmm. a lot of D and D, but then they, yeah. they went their own direction and evolved on their own. And I think, you know, a lot of TTRPGs could steal from computer games and, and learn and grow a lot in that way too. Like it's not a one way street. I think that can go the other way. I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that. Um, I think fourth ed really was an experiment at that. Right. I think that, I mean, you know, reading it, I'm not bashing World of Warcraft people. I don't no. play it. I'm not, it's not, I don't do video games right. pretty much at all. So, and I, so I know I'm weird. I'm not bashing nah. people who enjoy it, but I looked at fourth ed and I was reading it and I was like, this is World of Warcraft on paper. This is not mm. what, this isn't what I signed up to play. Right. Um, so, but I, so I think you're starting to see a bit more of those ideas coming in and even just influences culturally from other, from Japan and China where video mm -hmm. games are made. We're getting some of that now, which is to me, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know it, so I, you know, sometimes I butcher things. And yeah, well, you know, hey, as long as you're willing to apologize and grow and learn, then I don't think there's, I, I know I butcher tons of stuff. So <laughs> I'm always just making sure that if, if somebody looks they're uncomfortable, I'm going to check and make sure. And right. Did I misstep? Because if so, I'm, I really didn't mean to and right. I'll take the time to go learn. And if, you know, if a fan is, were to ever come up to me and go, you know, this is what this means and this is how that worked, et cetera, I'd be like, I'm really sorry. Can you can you explain that to me so I can do that better next time? Right. Um, so is there a, a rule or maybe even a whole chunk of rules that you either generally discard or always make sure that you let everybody know, hey, I do this differently in my games? Um, I try to get rid of alignment. I hate it. Mostly because they can't decide what it is. Right. Is it a mechanic and therefore it has actual impact on actions and rules? Or is it a storytelling tool? Right. So they've got this weird hybrid thing they've got that's left over. Just just stop. 
If yeah. Just let it go. Um, but unfortunately, there's enough in the rules still that you can't just ignore it. So right. for the most part, I, I, I try to, and I try to just say, look, actions have consequences. Right. Play your character, but no, if you go around murdering everybody, a mob will come after you. Right, yeah. So That's fair. Um, but yeah, so that, other than that, I, it's more of I forget that a rule existed and didn't use it that <laughs> right. time, and then people yep. are like, you know, you totally could have done grapple, right? I'm like, Huh. Yeah, I guess so. Moving on. <laughs> when you're controlling 18 monsters with different stat cards, maybe you'll remember to do it. Yeah, You've got I mean, one player and still don't know how your spells work. <laughs> yes. I'm instituting what I call the one minute rule so that when it comes your turn, you have one minute. If you do not tell me by the end of that one minute what you're doing, you are considered dodging moot next. DM gets two minutes. Right. Because I have to deal with everything you have a lot more all to of do. you did. Yeah. Yeah. So. so. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I think that, you know, I, I used to be really against timers because I think most people have too short of a timer. And when you, you can have your action planned all the way around the table until the person right before you. And then, does, boom. Everything changes. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. uh, you know, somebody's down or, you know, the whole combat field has changed or something's different and you've got to act. 15 seconds is not a lot of time to decide that. No, that's and ridiculous. So I, I like that. I think a minute is, is fair, especially when you get into larger tables. If it's two or three people and you guys are lollygagging. Yeah, um, then exactly, because it still works out to about the same. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, 3.5 and on, combat just drags. Yeah. Um, and so anything to speed it up is necessary and... You know, push got you got to push players, and they need to understand. Look, it's not me being trying to be mean to you, but you can't take five minutes to decide to shoot one arrow. Yeah, right, I just I can't. That can't happen. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, it wouldn't be Dungeons and Dinners if we didn't also talk about some food. We promised it at the beginning of this episode. So um, the food questions tend to be a little bit more generic, a little bit more uh, kind of ethereal there's less you know rule book history with them i guess there's plenty of cookbooks out there but <laughs> um so in in terms where you know you're a, a lifelong dm are you more often the cook or do you uh you know push that off to you know do you eat out more or where do you lie as far as your chefing skills go i'm, so, I'm again i'm somewhere in between okay. um i love to cook but i like to cook for people I, it, one of the ways that I show I care about someone is acts of kindness. And for me, it's in particular cooking. Yeah. Um, so I, I love it, but this past year, no, because yeah, it has people. been, I'm, so I'm exact same way. Like if it, if it was me alone, it, it would be a dark house with bachelor chow but if if there's other people coming by, it's flambe, it's yes. nice skills, it's sushi, it's whatever everybody wants. So I I it did has a, been hard. Um, I remember doing the the big holiday dinner for a group of friends of us. We did it was forty people, and I spent all day cooking. It was my the, my then roommate paid for it, but he didn't cook, so he was like, "You just take care of it." 
So I started early in the morning. By the time dinner came around, I'm like, okay, dinner's ready. Some one of you is going to McDonald's for me. <laughs> right. And they're like, what is it? It promises nothing to do with the food, but I've tasted this all day. Yes. I need <laughs> no. Yeah. I feel that. But it it has been difficult with the pandemic and the whole no people yeah. thing has made has has that affected your your D D as well? Were you digital before the pandemic? Because no. there were a lot of digital tools pre that. So. I've, I've tr- I dabbled with it before and tried, but I, I wasn't very good at it. I, I think I finally adapted. Um, my, my problem is my play style as a DM is I feed off my players. Mm-hmm. What, you sh- what you give me is how I'm going to interact and engage and do these encounters. And when there's a screen between us, you lose so much of that feel. Yeah. Um, I stand up a lot when I DM and move right. around and I to get like d- belly cam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, or where d- is he even on the screen? Right. No, I'm over on the other side I'll of the shout table. Shout over at the mic. And yeah. So, so it's definitely, definitely changed me, but I f- feel like I'm getting there. Okay. So that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So do you have a favorite thing? You said you kind of made this extravagant holiday meal. Do you have a favorite go to like if you're going to if somebody's coming over and maybe it's their first time that you're cooking for them, your go to I'm going to impress the pants off this person meal. So I went out of my way to learn the recipe for chicken brine from Carabas. You know, it's the chicken and the white wine and butter sauce with sun-dried tomatoes and I goat cheese. I went out of my way to learn that. And that's awesome. Yeah. And it's actually not hard at all. It really isn't. And that's the thing. Most cooking isn't really hard. It just takes time. If you're willing to put the time in, you'll, you'll get it done. It's if you say, well, I've got 20 minutes. Ooh, then this is not a recipe for you. Well, and I, I found that so many uh, when I when I went off and, and I, I spent a lot of time learning to be a cook and, and, you know, tutelage under a few different people. And I learned that the fancier the recipe in in a lot of cases, not all, but in many cases, the fewer the ingredients. But it was the care and the attention to detail. And you're not going to use you, you want a, an ingredient if you're going to get it and you're going to use it. It's got to be maybe not necessarily more expense, but have a better flavor profile than maybe a generic brand of the same thing. So it, their selection of ingredients mattered a lot more. Yes. I, I, over the years, I've learned that, that I used to think, like, I'm not a big fan of mushrooms. I'll, I'll eat them occasionally, but I'm not. But I've learned the difference. And I, what I did discover is I do like tree mushrooms. Ah, okay. Um, and so I've, you know, started learning that. It was learning there was a difference and, you know, those sort of minute things that you're like, oh, oh, well, okay, then maybe I should try this. And and it's also treating ingredients respectfully, understanding mm-hmm. what they do so that, you know, um, again, I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of mushrooms. So if you take that out of a recipe, well, I've got to put something back that's going to bring right. that mommy burst. Yep. So it's it that that to me was the hard part. I'm not a chef by any stretch and I will never claim to be. I'm a decent home cook. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. So. I don't think I would ever actually claim to be a 
a professional chef is at least definitely not anymore. I'm far too out of tune for that, but I'm a good home chef. So, and I still love the, the act of cooking. So, yeah. Um, so when do you first remember kind of learning how to cook? Were you introduced to cooking? You seem to be introduced to a lot of things at a pretty young age from your parents. So did they bring you into the kitchen at a young age? Um, not super young. Uh, but, uh, my father was actually the main cook in my family because, and I think that's where I learned that cooking is a sign of love is because he traveled so much for work. He was gone Sunday night to Friday night. Oh, wow. So he would come home and weekends, you know, he cooked, he did. And so I enjoyed that. Um, it's not to say my mom obviously didn't cook. She did a great job. I still do her spaghetti recipe and, you know, <laughs> yep. things like that. But, um, but I learned over time watching him some things, but he was it, in his head. I think it was, I need to get this done so I can share this with everybody and maximize my time. So he didn't, I didn't get to be in the kitchen with him as much, but I watched it. Right. And then I remember the first time I tried to cook on my own, not very long after I started playing D&D, actually, it was probably about we were living at the lake house. So I would have been about 10 and a half years old. Um, and I tried to cook chicken tenders. That turned out very, very bad. <laughs> they were raw in the middle and oh. everything. Yeah. And so I, that that's my first distinct memory of me trying to do something beyond just like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right. or, you know, something like that. But that did not go well. But it led me to try. I was also the pickiest eater as a kid. Same. Um, yeah. <laughs> you could not get me to touch. If I did not know what it is, nope. Mm. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm now the most adventurous eater in my family. Hey, I will try awesome. anything awesome. if, you know, and especially I always say, even if it's something I know I don't like, mm -hmm. if a chef, like a genuine, honest to gosh chef cooks and brings something out, we're like, hey, I, this is, I know you're not, I don't eat a lot of seafood. Right. I know you don't eat fish, but try this. Absolutely. I'm not going to insult him or her by, no, I'm going to, I refuse to concede you have talent. Right. No. Right. So, no, that's really good. It's it's something that I, I've struggled with a lot as a kid and still have some places where I'm I've, I've become a lot better. I definitely working in kitchens got me over a lot of things where even if I don't like it, I have to taste it and know what it's supposed to taste like. Right. And so you you have to get over a lot real quick. It was difficult learning saute that first week. It was like, I don't like this, but I have to nibble it because I have to know what al, al dente on an asparagus is or whatever, you know, cause it was right. really, it wasn't like a super high end restaurant, but it was high for our area. And, and so <laughs> food was expected to be cooked a certain way that I was not, I was not used yeah. to, it was not all mush. I was used to most things cook till they're mush. And that was not how this worked. So <laughs> yeah, it, it was either crunched or squished. Mm -hmm. There was no exactly. in between. So yeah. Fully deep fried or steamed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, steamed yeah. yeah so so do you have a cooking specialty are you you mentioned the chicken dish are you more of a saute person do you bake do you do desserts no i yeah. do not bake i ran a coffee shop deli for a while and the head baker 
made an agreement with me that she would continue to do the baking, do everything as long as I never tried to bake. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm not good at following recipes. Mm, I, same. I want the art not the science exactly yeah same thing and i found it there's this is where i find so many corollaries between dungeons and dragons and cooking is like i don't think a lot of people that are closer to raw like the more rules as written they are the more likely they are to either be into baking because recipes tend to be very exact or they'll tend to follow one recipe and have like a favorite recipe Whereas people that are more homebrew, more story oriented, again, not a blanket statement, but more often than not tend to be, I'll look at three or four recipes and average the things that I like and make my own, or I'll take this recipe, but I'm going to add three things that aren't on it because I think it'll be good. <laughs> yes. And then you have those epic mistakes where you're like, ooh. Ooh, what, what, what was I that was not, That did not happen right. Yeah. But then there's also the epic mistakes of like, on the opposite end where you didn't yes. need like i think this is burned so i'm just gonna add sugar to try to salvage it and then it caramelizes and you're like wow yes i need to burn it next time okay yep. <laughs> yeah and i mean it's just cooking is it it's a it's an exacting in its own way art but it's very forgiving right. you can fix just about anything if it's not yet black right just about, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Yeah, you're gonna have to change some stuff. You need to work on it, um, but and it may be <clears throat> very much different than what you intended to serve in the first place. And maybe, uh, yeah, well, yeah. that lemon flavor, you got to give that up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, but experimenting, it's always fun. So you said you you worked in a coffee shop. Do you have a uh, a specific taste in beverages? um i'm weird i love coffee shops i don't like coffee no that's fine i can that's taste fine. coffee and tell you if it's good though if you right. give me a cup right. i can <laughs> and a, i've gotten to the point sometimes i can even identify the bean just by taking a sip and be like oh, that's awesome there are a couple of them that just to me sumatra always stands out no matter what somebody does to it that's that's a super heavy dark strong flavor um my drink of choice is, well, of course, sodas. And, I mean, we <laughs> hey, all do. You know what? But... There's there's nothing wrong with a solid, refreshing soda. Right. Like, there's a lot of knocking on them, but I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a Dr. Pepper fan, and any dark carbonated beverage, I'll probably, I'll probably chow on for a yeah. bit. But no, if I honestly, for a drink, I mean, I'm going to go alcoholic. Um, yeah. Give, give me a good um rye whiskey sour okay there you go that's a solid choice yeah yeah i'm um, a fan of an old-fashioned every here and there yes so. great um whiskeys and scotches are my favorite yeah it was definitely an acquired thing because yeah first... i i don't do whiskeys all the time but uh i was i had a big rum phase and then when mm -hmm. that faded but he's tried to get me into it. i'm like I'm not, I'm not doing shots anymore i'm too too old for that but then one of my friends was like oh well let's try it as a mixed drink and that was like okay i can actually appreciate whiskey in a, in a mixed drink a lot better than than straight and i mean honestly i whiskeys and and scotches they're an endurance test yeah you have to keep <laughs> trying them and you have to keep coming back and every time you're doing it you're like why am i doing this to myself and then suddenly there's that moment of breakthrough where you're like oh oh i get it now 
I've heard that about wine and I've never gotten there. It just always tastes like sour grape juice. So, <laughs> um, I, I like white wines, red wines. I'm uh, really picky on. Um, yeah. and it's funny because there's that flavor profile that people say, Oh, if you like one, you're going to like them all. It's coffee, red wine, dark chocolate. Um, there's something else with it. Oh, balsamics. Oh, yep. I love balsamic and I love dark chocolate. I cannot stand coffee or, um, red wines. Yeah. I actually, I. Uh... I'll do, I take it back. I'll do a little white wine. I'll pretty much only do like a dessert wine, like a Moscato. Mm -hmm. And in reds, it's really only like barely wine, extra sweet and probably bubbly in some form. There's a, there's a few of them that are, that yeah. are pretty decent, but yeah, red wines. No, but I'll do, you know, dark chocolate. I like dark chocolate. Um, I used to be really against coffee, but I ended up, I ended up going for it and basalmics. Uh, uh, I like, I like basalmics. I almost never cook with them. I almost find nothing to put them in, but I like, I love the smell. Like I would own a ton of basalmic vinegars and never use any of them. I'm going to tell you the easiest marinade for pork. Ooh, it is uh, balsamic vinegar. Um, roughly about a, um, two to about a half cup. So two cups of balsamic to about a half cup of brown sugar. Okay. Put that in, let that cook. Got to watch it. Cause of course, balsamic boils yep. so fast. Then you just, you throw in your herbs. I usually do herbs of Provence. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you just use that as a marinade to soak a pork tenderloin in overnight. Mm. It is so simple and it is so good. That sounds really good. I, I I don't know why I haven't thought to do more marinades with balsamic. That's a good idea. I may I may finally be able to use up something that's been in the cabinet for a while now. So <laughs> I think we've got like five different ones in there. Oh, yeah. We used to go. There was a I don't remember the name of the place. It was a fancy store. It wasn't around very long. Uh, I was at the mall in our area for a little bit and they had just all they did was balsamic vinegars and olive oils. Yes, we have a store like that downtown. And it was all infusions and it was that was so, so cool. I, I've wanted to get in and do infusions into olive oils, but they say that it, unless you're doing it kind of in a pressurized, you know, vacuum sealed way that you're probably going to get bacteria pretty quick in them. And I don't, I go through a fair amount of olive oil, but I don't go through enough to justify, you know, yeah. doing an infusion on. So, and it's hard to get the other, um, extracted, the the flavor oils. Yeah. So the yeah. pressure helps get that. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. Uh, most of my pressure pots go to things like making minis or <laughs> garage projects. I don't think I, I don't think I really want to put olive oil in there. I so. just found out that, you know, making dice involves pressure pots. And mm -hmm. I was like, I am so fascinated now. I cannot afford another D and D related hobby. Damn oh, it. I know. The, the artesian industry has exploded. The, the yes. two biggest things I think are, I mean, one YouTube to help get that knowledge out there and just the internet in general. But I think the rise of 3D printing and especially home quality, like resin 3D printing. I just got a resin printer. I had one of the oh, old so kind that I got it. I got it used. So it, it took some extra tinkering because I had to learn how it worked and then how all the modifications that my buddy had made, how those worked. <laughs> so I had kind of a double learning curve. Um, but I, I had gotten in with the, the FDM style printers and hated them. 
and and I got an, a very early one, a build it yourself kit. It took me like a week to build and never got anything decent off of it. The resin printer, it's still a learning curve and I'm but I'm starting to get some things off of it and every little thing that comes off, I'm just like my mind is blown at the detail and all I can think about is like now I can commission people to make 3D models and then I can take the 3D models and I can print them and I can have my character with my whatever he wants to wear and like yeah I think that's so and the same thing applies to making cool dice molds and dice towers and dm screens everything uh, the whole artesian industry woodworkers metal workers plastic silicone shirts like the whole industry and then the ties to cosplay has just exploded and i'm here for it i don't have the money for it but i'm so here for it (laughs) the internet made all of that possible because before that going to cons somebody might have sold okay i might i might have brought 30 dice towers with me and i sold them right but that's is that even a month Mm -hmm. you know of your costs etc now you know, you can go to these things, get your name out there, people start following you, or you're on Twitter, and, you know, we fall in love with seeing these pictures, and we we all send, you know, here, take my money, please. Right. Um, and we get these things, and then we, we all talk about how great this person's dice or that person's DM screen was. And I, I love it, because I, I like that sense of community. Oh, it's yeah. one of my big things with Twitter. I do not like social media. Actually, I hate it. I think it's going to be the end of our entire culture. Right. Um, but I love the tabletop Twitter. That's the only part of Twitter I like. I've looked I'm every, pretty much the same. I've, I've done a couple of rounds. I've done a few attempts and I was like setting up for the show. I was going, OK, well, I got to have some kind of social media presence or whatever. And the 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 community for the gaming, the, the tabletop gaming side of Twitter, just open arms, drags you in, mm-hmm. gives you a giant hug, and then says, welcome to the family, and tosses you in a pit of followers. <laughs> yes. And, well, and the other thing that I've loved about it is, you know, in this group, we don't have a whole lot of the vitriol and hate that other mm-hmm. others get. When that does manage to seep in, which it, of course it does. I mean, it always, it, it's the right. internet. But as a group, like we all come together and we're all so fierce. It's like an and immune just, system. Yes. And we're like, no, you will not talk to our, even people I've never spoken to before. Mm-hmm. If somebody's mean to them, I'm like, whoa, yep. back your butt up. I don't yep. think so. And they're like, how do you know him or her? I'm like, I don't. But right. you're a rude chat. It doesn't it doesn't matter if I know them or not. The fact of the matter is you're being terrible and right. need to stop. So. I know they're good members of this community mm-hmm. and you're not. So yeah. And that, that that's been my ultimate thing with this. Um I, I have a faux nemesis in Wilbo. I love him. <laughs> I love that guy. I honestly and I have to make sure and post that every once in a while to people like no. This is a joke. Right. I think right. he is awesome. But I call him the tyrant of kindness because he's just, yeah. he's so amazing about reaching out and pulling people in and let me value you. Let me mm-hmm. make sure you know that we see you, we understand. And that's, I love it. And also the other thing I love that we're doing in this community is mental health. Yes. Especially yes. in the time of COVID. Huge. They're, they're normalizing talking about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
just because you struggle with something, you have a little bit of an issue, it doesn't mean 20 years from now you're still going to have that issue. Right, right now, it's normal. But, yeah, um, it's I, I've enjoyed it. And I, I'm, I'm liking seeing how these people in this each little nook within the, the community just talking to them. And well, and then it, it's the exposure. Like, I've been exposed to more different types of cultures of artistic styles of things that like i didn't know you could make that like i didn't know i didn't know like i had done screen printing like once as a kid in like high school and seeing like the inklings constant posts is like i would just watch them yeah like these are all i didn't know you could get that complex of a color profile off of like hand screen printing i thought that it was all laser printers in you know factories or something i don't know i don't know how clothes are made anymore <laughs> right oh i love when it, when ink posts one i will just sit there and stare at it for like mm-hmm. a good five or ten minutes and people are like that's that's a like 30 second video i'm like i know isn't it beautiful but it's yeah they're astonished and and just that and then times any kind of art yes which which i think is so awesome because there's a lot of communities that have like an associated art style but I think that the, the tabletop gaming just breaches into everything and I love it. So, well, people, what I always try to tell people, and it's, we, we talked about this the other day on another show, but um, it, you know, it's how do you get better? There's so many things about the DM get better, but nobody really tells players mm-hmm. how to get better. Yes. They'll teach you the mechanics, but how, how do you truly become a, and I'm, my thing I always say to people is go look at how to act. Mm-hmm. that's what you're doing and yep. so coming with that idea of theater which i have no background in but right. you know but coming with that then comes props and costuming and all these different things that when you stop and you look you're like oh yeah that all that's part of D D. Mm-hmm. um so yeah i i love it i i think it's the best hobby in the world and the exposure to different subjects. Um, I don't understand how people can be hateful that play role-playing games. Just the exposure to different cultures and people. Eh, Some people wall themselves in. Yeah. um, No, I I am such a huge fan of the community. I love it so much. And uh, before we, you know, kind of kick this thing off, uh, you are on Twitter um, you are recording a, a, an upcoming project. Um, is there anything in particular that you would want to shout out? And of course, we'll have links down in the description uh, for, for all your sites. Well, uh, we are doing Into the Rage, a Seas of Odari set campaign all about pirates and black powder. And, you know, uh, camp- well, if you go to my Twitter, you'll see the map, the storm at the middle, and it's just a ring of islands. It's so much fun. Um, the guys that created it, Tribality Publishing, are awesome and have let me. Um, anytime I ask them, hey, I'm thinking about, they're, you know, they're like, yeah, that's great. Just go F up our world. I love it. Um, so that's planned to be about a 30 month campaign if the, my um, outline holds true. Right. Um, and then personally, I'm starting just a casual conversation podcast, kind of like this. This yep. was great because I miss it. We we 
don't get that now that we can't go to game stores mm-hmm. and you know again community i want to see that right well, awesome. Thank you so much, Keith. Dagda's Cauldron is the location uh, for everybody out there. Please visit the links in the description. Check out his Patreon. Check out his upcoming work and follow him on Twitter. We'll see you out there. So that's all for the episode today. Please let me know your thoughts, comments, and episode ideas. All of the links and contact information can be found on the card website down in the show notes. If you're interested in supporting the show and wanting to get more bonus content, consider tossing some coins out to patreon.com slash dungeons and dinners. If you're looking for more great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.